Welcome back, everybody, to the Bear Goggles Podcast. This is your host, Parker Hurley. As always, this is our episode three. So um, the first episode, we kind of did a free agency preview. Second episode, we kind of reacted to some of the free agents. We, uh, we talked about Buster Screen, Cordero Patterson, and Mike Davis. So if you want to listen to those, uh, some of the reaction to that and some of the, you know, what the long-term implications are to those signings, go over to uh, episode two and listen to that. But since we recorded that, there actually has been some more, you know, waves being made, um, especially uh, we didn't get to react to Ha Ha Clinton Dicks. I know there's been some time for a lot of people to react, and we put up a couple of posts on BearGogglesOn.com. But we're going to start the episode with that, you know, then touch on some news and notes. Then we're going to start to, you know, kind of transition a little bit from free agency into the NFL draft. But like I said, we didn't get to react to HaHa Clinton Dix, and a lot of people are going to, you know, um, definitely look around at, you know, what the Bears did at free agency and say that this was one of the biggest moves that they could make. Um, they ended up, when you kind of look at the net, especially in terms of the, you know, the big two positions on defense, they lost Bryce Callahan. He ended up signing with the Denver Broncos and Vic Fangio. And uh, they lost Adrian Amos, who went to the rival Green Bay Packers. And in losing Callahan and Amos, they traded for Buster Screen and HaHa Clinton Dix. So it'll be really interesting to see how those pan out. And like I said, I kind of broke down the screen loss um, or the screen signing in the last episode. But now we're going to talk about the HaHa Clinton Dix one. And I think, like I said, because there's been some time to kind of soak it in, I think there's somewhat of a general consensus or an understanding of what HaHa Clinton Dix can do. In the fact that he's almost um, a little bit opposite of Adrian Amos in that you know what you get with Adrian Amos. Um, he's not going to miss tackles. He's going to stay within his assignment. He's a much uh, he's a very physical player who also has some pretty good range, but he doesn't have you know some great ball skills and he's not much of a freelancer and that's completely fine. But th- those are some of his limitations. And then with HaHa Clinton Dix, you're going to get the freelancing, the ball skills, the ability to make game-changing plays, the ability to get into the backfield at times, and the ability to pick the football off. But in the reaction, you're going to get some people don't think he's necessarily a great tackler. And yeah, you could say, you know, his tackling, um, it comes and goes. You know, there are times where he can be a physical tackler, but there are also times where he kind of whiffs or he's shooting for big plays or he's missing on angles. And then you say in the in coverage Typically, Amos, um, you would probably say, is definitely a better man cover uh, type of player, and he's definitely better in the robber role. So it'll be really interesting to see how him and uh, you know him and Eddie Jackson, Haha Clinton Dixon, Eddie Jackson, duel off of each other. In the fact that most of the time, Haha Clinton Dixon has played—I wouldn't say uh, he's played single high a good portion of his career. He's obviously played some two deep, and he has you know come into the box at times. He has played the robber role at times. But for the most part, he's been more natural in the single high. And while a lot of people think Jackson typically plays the single high, they usually play too high. And what's great about Jackson and Amos is that the versatility of both of them, they kind of shuffle around in, in terms of their alignments and their formations like before and after the snap. So, you know, those two, their ability to play off of each other was just an added um, sense of versatility. But what's going to be interesting is that you say, okay, well, they might lose a little bit of that, but HaHa Clinton Dixon, Eddie Jackson have a little bit of familiarity in terms of they both went to Alabama together, and they actually did spend one season on the Alabama campus together. 
And then it was reported that uh, Eddie Jackson had recruited, uh, or Ha Ha Clinton Dix had been on uh, Eddie Jackson's recruitment visit with somebody who, you know, was the Alabama team told to, you know, hey, make, you know, treat Eddie Jackson good, make sure he feels good and, you know, feels like he's going to come to Bama. And Eddie Jackson spent the day with Ha Ha Clinton Dix. And the next thing you know, Eddie Jackson commits to Alabama. I'm obviously, you know, not going to put all those pieces together and it's like saying it's that simple. But for the most part, that's what you're getting. So. Uh, those two at least know each other very well. Uh, Haha Clinton Dix said that Eddie Jackson had a good, you know, had a portion of say in terms of what, you know, the, the deal in the team that he took. And we can also talk about, it's an extremely cheap deal. And you're going to say that, you know, um, you know, what a lot of Bears fans are, or what a lot of Packers fans are going to say is that they upgraded their safety position. But the question is, okay, sure. You know, Haha Clinton Dix is going to miss a few more tackles, might miss a few more assignments, might give up an extra first down or two, okay, but he might get an extra pick that, you know, cuts into that a little bit, and the fact that Eddie, um, Adrian Amos is going to make about $9 million per year, Haha Clinton Dix, it came out, I believe it's $3.5 million per year. So, are you really getting one-third of the value of player? No, and that's where when you break down the dollars and cents, you could say that the Bears were cash-strapped, and considering what they were cash-strapped with, they got the best um, situation in terms of, you know, per dollar, they're going to get the best value for $3.5 million with HaHa ha Clinton Dix and his ability. And he's a little bit on in terms of a prove-it deal for him. You know, that's obviously why he took a one-year deal. And, you know, he might just be here for one year so you know don't buy your Clinton Dix jerseys yet or anything but uh the fact that he did you know like I said Jackson had a little bit to do with it and also he said that he he thought that there was a chance to win here and he thought that he could be a piece that um comes in and fits right next to Eddie Jackson and what turns into dollars on a long-term contract being a starting safety on a Super Bowl team and heading into free agency. You know, everybody was going to say, oh, ha-ha, Clinton Dix with his bounce-back season is going to get Landon Collins type of money, you know, another Alabama safety. So that's what ha-ha, Clinton Dix is playing for, and that's why you're saying that, yes, he's going to blow a few more plays, but he's going to make a play or two, potentially more. And then you say, with the addition of him playing with Eddie Jackson and with the addition of him being so much cheaper— you, you can't really look at the signing in any way and say that, you know, huge disappointment, this isn't what we wanted. Um, in no way, in my opinion, does this affect them drafting a safety. Because like I said, I mean, I think the best case scenario for both sides are that HaHa Clinton Dix plays so well that the Bears are unable to retain him in the long term. You know, that's like that's one of the best, you know, case scenarios. So that's where you're going into the draft and saying, if there's a versatile safety that we like, if there's a guy who can play in the box more and be a dime backer and compete with Dayon Bush in the middle rounds um, next season, that's a chance that we could draft somebody. I wouldn't put it out of the Bears, you know, sights, or I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up doing that. But for the short term, for that one year, $3.5 million, you can do nothing but applaud the Ha Ha Clinton Dick signing. And hope that, you know, like I said, it does work out for both sides. Obviously, in the worst case scenario, it is just one year of Ha Ha Clinton Dix too. So, we'll move on to the next one, which is Ted Larson. And I kind of touched on Ted Larson towards the end of the last podcast. Just saying that my initial reaction was, that's an Eric Cush replacement um, for the majority of it. In terms of, he can play center, he can play guard. Um, that's, you know, that's what Eric Cush did. And he was a swing player who, when, when, it, when called upon... Um, what was it, two or two or three seasons ago when called upon, stepped into the starting lineup, and then once again when called upon because whatever it was, they weren't necessarily confident in James Daniels stepping into the starting lineup in week one. 
so Eric Cush was able to squeeze out a few starts there. That's the type of player that I think they're hoping with Ted Larson is that, you know, in a best-case scenario, we're not starting him. But if we need four or five starts here, or if we need four there, then we could probably get it. And Eric Cush just signed a deal with the Cleveland Browns, but Eric Cush hasn't been healthy in, what, three years now? Or, you know, he was healthy. He's, like I said, he, he gave them those, you know, what, four or five starts before James Daniel stepped in. Tried to slide to right guard when Kyle Long got hurt. But uh, ended up, I think, I just think he was hurt and he just, they didn't enact of him. But they ended up signing Brian Witzman and starting over him. So I was a bit surprised in that. And with that regard of saying, you know, almost um, even more so than the Ha Ha Clinton Dicks, where I said it doesn't stop you from drafting a safety. Ted Larson, you don't look around and you say, okay, we're pretty, we're pretty set with our depth, you know. You're not saying that, okay, he stepped in for the Eric Cush role. Okay, well, he stepped in for the Eric Cush role, and they still needed Brian Witzman. So who's going to replace Brian Witzman? They still haven't signed anybody in that regard. So I don't think they're going to sign a, a veteran of any of any style. I did write, a, you know, potentially Jeff Allen, who has some Chiefs ties, and is slowly watching his market dwindle down. And the Bears might, you know, throw, you know, have a couple uh, coins or, you know, whatever saved up after the draft maybe and throw it at a player like that um, potentially. But they're, that's kind of an over-the-hill prospect who could only, if a guy like Kyle Long got hurt, fill in for a few starts here and there. They're thinking in 2020, there's nobody, you know, um, Kyle Long is very, his contract, the way that he restructured it, this could very potentially be his last season because he's set to make $8 million next year and none of it is guaranteed. So there's definitely potential that he's going to, you know, this might be his last season. Ted Larson, like I said, at, at his best, he's just filling the Eric Cush role. And, um, yeah, the, whatever, whoever you sign, whether even if Jeff Allen was the best name on the market, that doesn't mean that you just replaced your guard situation or you have a guard situation moving forward to the future. So they're going to need to draft a guard at some point in this draft. Um, I think the signing of Larson kind of eases the pain where, you know, even Brian Witzman last year, it took until, what, you know, week eight or nine before they actually needed somebody like him. So if you draft somebody and the worst case scenario happens, and I mean, now that they have James Daniels um, actually implemented into the starting lineup, it would be much harder for a, for a rookie to kind of get thrown into the fire this season because they at least have one spot. Last year, you know, Cush was starting because Daniels wasn't ready, and then when Daniels was ready, Cush was kind of worn down. And then when Long got hurt, Cush couldn't step in, so Brian Witzman had to be there. And like I said, you still need that Brian Witzman role, but that's such an emergency situation. And if everything I just repeated happens, then you need that. But you're kind of hoping or you're assuming that it's not going to necessarily go that way. And between Kyle Long and then Larson, you're hoping you can get 16 games. But you're definitely not assuming you're going to get 16 games in 2020. And that's why you draft one this year. And if you know if you like the development, you stick with it. If you don't like the development, you don't. Um, or, I mean, you do stick with them and you could be a backup and you could draft one high next year, or you could draft one at any point you want to, obviously, or sign one because you're saving $8 million, you know, with, um, with the Kyle Long situation. But nonetheless, that's the Bears guard situation. They definitely need something for the future, but Ted Larson definitely, you know, it's not like a surefire, we got to go get something right now, um, sound the alarms, because they at least have Ted Larson. And even Bradley Sowell can slide inside, so you look at the depth and they have eight, you know, guys right there. The five starters, Bradley Sowell, Rashawn Coward, and, you know, Ted Larson. So they at least have this foundation of something in their guard position. Moving on to the wide receivers because they signed Marvin Hall. And I won't even spend too too much time on Marvin Hall. He is a very, 
Um, he's a fast, explosive player. He's a little bit undersized. He's just pretty much, you know, um, a similar mold and almost, you know, not quite a similar background to Taylor Gabriel. Um, just, you know, kind of um, somewhat off the beaten path in terms of, you know, Taylor Gabriel was kind of, uh, they were both undrafted, but uh, Taylor Gabriel was out of the league for a little bit, I believe. But um, nonetheless, Marvin Hall just, you know, kicking, kicking around, moving around, slowly around, you know, from team to team. And he, like I said, he's just a, a miniature version of Taylor Gabriel or a backup version of Taylor Gabriel where he's undersized, he's explosively fast, he can move with the ball in his hands, he could do something in the return game, and he could stretch the field deep. So the Bears are kind of just sitting around and saying that, you know, that's just another piece that we could add to the arsenal. It's not going to cost us much. Um, they could bring in an undrafted free agent who could compete with Marvin Hall and take that same role. Um, that role is not even guaranteed to make the, you know, roster. You know, they didn't have a player like that last year that they really relied on. You know, they had, what, DeMarcus Ayers. Um, I believe it, it was in a training camp, you know, players like that, but didn't really catch on or anything, obviously, so... That's about what you have with Marvin Hall. I would put, you know, his chances on making the roster probably below 50% at this point because, like I said, they could even draft. They could figure it out. They have Cordero Patterson, who's going to take a roster spot, whether it be as a running back or a wide receiver or whatever he is. He's getting a roster spot. So that's why there's not too, too much in terms of Marvin Hall, in my opinion. So we'll pretty much just move on from the free agency signings. They did sign Pat O'Donnell which I will kind of just get through quickly as well because um, my buddy Bill Zimmerman on BearGogglesOn.com, you know, my partner in crime over there, did a, did a post uh, somewhat of a conspiracy theory. I think he was just kind of laying out some stats and just wanted to open up some discussion, but uh, he did point out that the Bears, when Pat, since signing Pat O'Donnell and post-Pat O'Donnell, um, not only has every kicker been better, you know, without him before and after, um it's within venues, you know, he did, he tested it pretty much every single way that, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory, but it's hard to say. Um, and nobody will actually be able to pin down and say that, um, some of the kickers misses have been the holders fault, but Bill does bring some interesting numbers to the table. And it was kind of just a fun read to kind of go through and just kind of, uh, just see, just see, uh, you know, that, that Pat O'Donnell just has a, has a bad streak of missing, of, of holding kicks that end up going for misses. So we'll see if the Bears end up reading that and catch on to that or, you know, if they, they probably, you know, uh, have done some studies, but they're still in an interesting spot for the kicker. So I think that adds into why they went with Pat O'Donnell. You know, they kind of just said, you know what, we can't just, we can't just try and replace a kicker and a punter in the same season. We're pulling our hair out trying to find a kicker here. So um, that, that will do it for the free agency section. Like I said, we will move into some draft talk it's kind of the first time we've been able to talk about draft because when I really started this podcast you know just a week or so ago it was you know so free agency minded for the most part but the draft has been one of my favorite events I really you know dig into it and study it and if you kind of read uh, on bear goggles on there's always like a draft uh, article up typically once every single day so we're trying to keep keep that going um, at least for, you know give one or two uh, just profiles, you know, trying to highlight some players that one the Bears are interested in or two the Bears might be drafting. So definitely check some of those out. And, um, you know, what I've been doing for the most part is going through, you know, some of the top running backs and just watching some of them and trying to, you know, pump out some of those articles, um, highlighting some of their strengths and weaknesses because it seems like, you know, no matter what, every single day 
in the news, you hear that, you know, the Bears are in contact with another running back, you know. Um, I think, what, in the past 24 hours, there's been names that I've heard connected to the Bears. Uh, Bruce Anderson, who I, I actually haven't watched and I'm going to need to go into. Um, Ryquel Armstead, who I'm going to definitely have an article coming up soon discussing the pros and cons of, you know, what drafting him would be like. Um, Travion Williams, he's up on, you know, we have him up on the article, or we have an article up on him, so definitely check that out. And uh, Benny Snell's been in for a visit. Um, I, I know there's been more in for a, for a visit too, so the Bears have been extremely active in terms of bringing in running backs, which is why, you know, everyone kind of, you keep getting comments as, um, like I said, a Bears writer. Um, Devin Singletary was in for a, bit, a visit, which we, uh, we might not have a post on him, so we'll have a post on him soon. And James Williams was in for a visit, so we'll have a post on him soon. So, um, yeah, like I said, but everyone keeps kind of commenting in the comment section saying, you know, why do you keep talking about so many running backs? You know, why do you keep saying that they're going to trade Jordan Howard? Why are you pushing this narrative? It's not a narrative. Uh, they've brought in countless number of running backs, just so many more running backs than they've uh, brought in really any other position. And, um, you know... When, when you break it down, they don't have too, too many needs. They need to replace Aaron Lynch. Like I said, whether it be safety, guard, they have some needs there. But it's the way that they've conducted this thing is they're going to trade Jordan Howard for a mid-round pick. And they're probably going to use that mid-round pick on a running back. And um, I know that if you read BearGogglesOn.com, you know that I I probably have a favorite that I've kind of been touting a little bit on the website and just hoping, you know, uh, Maybe I pumped up his draft stock a little too much because I've been talking about him since before the combine and after the combine. He really ended up having a day. So Miles Sanders from Penn State has been the player that I've been talking about. And, you know, it, it, what's so funny is that if you go back and read my original draft profile on Miles Sanders, like I said, it was before the combine. And then you listen and you read the comments, you'll say, uh, you know, fifth or sixth round guy. Nobody guy, and then you'll read the comments now where I actually have a mock draft, um, which we're about to get into. Um, but I have Miles Sanders going to the Chicago Bears in the third round, or I'm you know talking about him going to the third round. And all you hear is he's not going to be there. He's a second round pick. <laughs> it's like okay, so all these experts, you know, the same experts that were telling me um, before the combine that Miles Sanders that I was way too high on Miles Sanders are now telling me that I'm way too low on Miles Sanders. And it's just like, so that's that's how the draft process goes at times. Um, it will be interesting because Sanders did boost his stock in a big way. He still has some fumble issues, and he still is pretty raw in terms of his running development. And that's why I think at the end of the day, he could potentially be there at pick 87. And um, like I said, we're going to get into my mock draft profile where I do think Devin or Miles Sanders is the best fit um, in, for the Chicago Bears, and I already wrote a film room review on that. So if you Google film room Miles Sanders, you can read why I think Miles Sanders is the best fit. And like I said, I've been through most of these running backs um, besides Bruce Anderson, and I do think Miles Sanders still remains the best fit. And it is going to be the question of whether he's there at pick 87. And like I said, I did a mock draft on the Draft Network has a uh, it's like a simulator that they they put they kind of give you a pool of players for at what point you're picking in each round, and then you kind of go from there. So um, when I picked at 87, Miles Sanders was there. So whether you want to believe that or not, I, I wouldn't just say that, well, the draft simulator said he's going to be there, he's going to be there. I definitely wouldn't say that. I would also say, and this is the caveat that I added to make it you know somewhat realistic, is that I know, and we all kind of know, like I said, we're not pushing a narrative. We're actually just understanding that the Bears are shopping Jordan Howard. 
Um, you know, what if they do trade Jordan Howard for a fourth round pick and they use their fourth round pick and pick 87 to leapfrog somebody, you know, they move up 10 spots and they do snag Miles Sanders. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, the draft value or how high they would potentially have to move, but, um, for that situation, let's just say that they went that route and they did secure Miles Sanders because like I said, they're bringing in a ton of running backs but more than any of them, there seems like some real serious smoke around Miles Sanders. Um, Mel Kuyper talked about it. Uh, I think Tony Pauline talked about it. There was a situation where they brought him in for a visit and then had him delete it from his Snapchat to try and, you know, hide it or, you know, keep it down from the news waves. And I feel like, you know, maybe they are bringing in so many running backs to say, yeah, we're just kicking the tires on everybody now. You know, um, when they, they, I feel like a lot of people, even in the league, kind of feel like they're connected to Sanders. So let's let's say that they trade their third round pick and Jordan Howard to find a way to get Miles Sanders. Um, that would be their third round pick for my mock draft. Like I said, I've written like five articles about Miles Sanders and I have watched all these running backs. So if you do want to discuss running backs, definitely hit me up on Twitter at Parker Hurley. But I do just think Miles Sanders is such a great fit and I've been touting Miles Sanders since before the combine. So I'm just going to keep touting him and I am going to come up with a mock draft uh, 2.0 where I'm, I'm not going to just consistently take Miles Sanders but because I've been talking about Sanders for so long the first mock draft I just wanted to see honestly how the, how it fits into the Bears drafting plan and you're probably going to see my 2.0 that I actually may wait for a running back um, and I like I said I'm, I'm not sure if that's what they're going to do but it, especially if Miles Sanders does end up going into like a, a higher second round pick if he really does boost his stock and I know Josh Jacobs had a poor pro day and a lot of people are starting to put Jacobs Pro Day up against Miles Sanders Combine and saying, well, they're both raw. And, you know, uh, Sanders sat behind Saquon Barkley. Who's Jacobs sitting behind? You know, Damian Harris or, you know, he was in a rotation with Damian Harris. Um, you know, so some people are starting to say that. And all of a sudden Sanders is, you know, if Sanders does get out of his out of the range, like I said, in my 2.0, I'm definitely going to mix it up from the running back. But moving on, I did add Ben Benagu. In the in the fourth round, or a pass rusher from TCU, um, he he, I guarantee you, Ryan Pace likes him based on what Ryan Pace has looked for, and he reminds me of Kylie Fitz in terms of extremely bursty, extremely athletic, um, just so much upside. Except he's pretty raw. He actually even had an interview with Pro Football Focus and talked about at TCU. They kind of just told him to just go get the quarterback. You know, they didn't really teach him any pass rush moves. They didn't have to teach him how to use his hands or use his flexibility because I wrote a draft profile on him because the Bears did meet with him at the Combine, or I think it was at the Senior Bowl, and I wrote a draft profile on him and saying, I don't think he necessarily has the bend to get around the edge as a consistent rusher. And he actually had a really good three cone, which you can't have a good three cone if you can't bend well, um, if you kind of watch the three cone drill, so... He actually did show that he had it, and then he had that interview with Pro Football Focus and said, yeah, they, that's just how they used me. It wasn't it wasn't something that I was lacking. It was how they used me, um, and that's what I, what I one thing I wrote is that they used Benagio on a ton of stunts on the inside, and um, I think he's going to be a good fit, or a guy like Chuck Pagano would really like him because of that aggressive, blitzing nature, and Chuck Pagano talked about that, and I think Ryan Pace is going to like him and say, you know, a, a raw... He, project with a ton of upside um, in terms of if he does, if you can get that bend out of him that he showed in his drills, if you can get that out of him on the football field, you have um, a guy with 10 sack upside who can blitz in a variation of facets because he has pure speed coming after the quarterback. 
So it is, you know, it's in the fourth round and they need a pass rusher because Aaron Lynch is visiting teams. They haven't necessarily made a move for anybody yet. I know a lot of people keep thinking Justin Houston, but I feel like, you know, Clay Matthews just got $9 million per. Um, I don't think the Bears could even afford Justin Houston at this point. So I think he's just waiting to see who's going to pony up the money. So um, I, don't think the, I don't think the Bears are players for Justin Houston. I could see them adding a third edge in Bagan, or Banagu. And then between him, Isaiah Irving, and Kylie Fitz, um, they're going to see you know who takes some steps forward in training camp and who can be depth options on the roster. So that's where I went with the fourth round pick. Like I said, in the fifth round, I ended up did I did take that safety where yeah they added Haha Clinton Dix. They're going to keep adding safeties into the group. Sheldrick Redwine from Miami, who also had a really good com- combine, who I actually really liked on tape when I saw that the Bears met with him, and um. He is just a really underrated player from Miami, in my opinion. Um, a lot of people look at Jaquan Johnson because he makes some like high-level hits, but uh, Redwine's the one making the plays on the ball and reading the quarterback and sitting in zone. And uh, he's a player who can play that single high. Um, he can play the single high, but he can also play that too deep and can kind of slide into that robber role. And he can also slide into that single high that makes him extremely versatile. He actually also can move into the slot, and you saw him play in the slot against, you know, some bigger receivers and against uh, smaller receivers like slot receivers and everything like that. So he was able to hang in the slot. So I think his versatility and the fact that first off you put him on special teams, you know, he's he's fast and can tackle well. So, you know, first off you put him on special teams, but also he is able to, you know, just line up over players. He's able to play both forms of safety. He could compete with Dayon Bush for some dime safety roles, and he could compete with Sherrick McManus for some, uh, you know, some slot, slot cornerback stuff. So I think the versatility of Redwine in those middle rounds makes him a, you know, a big-time uh, player worth looking into. And he did test as a high-level athlete, so there's some upside there if the, if the Bears can get that out of him. So we'll move on to the seventh round pick of two seventh round picks. The first one's going to be Alex Bars, where, like I said, with the center or with the guard position, they're still not done with the guard position. Um, I went with Bars because uh, the Bears also did meet with him, but he has a Notre Dame connection to Harry Hindstand, and he will be in the draft. And he does, um, you know, when he was starting, he had some upside, and he was starting, you know, with Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, and that Notre Dame offensive line was great, and he has that connection with Hindstand. But then when, when McGlinchey left and Nelson left and Highstand left, um, you know, Bars ended up struggling and ended up finishing the season with an ACL tear. So the way that I'm just looking at Bars is saying that this is a fourth-round player, especially if you put him next to NFL talent or put him with NFL coaching. We've kind of already seen that. It, if we're going to get a fourth-round player in the seventh round because he tore his ACL and may, you know, be slowly moving his way, you know, I think he'll be healthy by the start of the season. But he's going to miss some OTAs. He's going to miss, you know, some of the. He's going to be a little bit behind. But like I said, with the fact that you signed Larson and you signed Long, you're looking long term more than, or you know, at the very worst, you're hoping to look for like week ten. You need somebody like Bars to at least be ready. So um, I think that having that added time, due to the fact that he's kind of your third string guard, Alex Bars buys you that time to where in the seventh round you're saying, hey, if he could be that player that you know we take a lot of time, take a lot of time. And then by, like like I said, maybe, hopefully it's by his second season, we, we give him a shot. Or if, if he doesn't develop and that ACL really holds him back, then we just draft in the next position. Really low risk, but I love the upside and the fact that, like I said, he could be, you know, or he should have, potentially would have been val- valued at like a fourth round pick. 
So moving on to the seventh player, it is Xavier Crawford from Central Michigan. And Crawford's absolutely going to fall into that seventh round range because um, he has one of the shortest arm lengths in the, in the entire draft. But what's interesting about him was he played his entire college career on the outside. So everybody, what makes him tough is that he's not going to be able to play on the outside due to his reach. You know, bigger uh, wide receivers in the NFL are going to absolutely body him. But uh, he's, he's a really physical cornerback. He played press man out on the outside. He has really quick feet. He runs routes for receivers. You know, he's going to get pushed down because he's so small. But, um, you know, what has Ryan Pace done with players who get pushed down that they're so small is Bryce Callahan, you know, a player like that. And that's what you kind of, you do get some of those vibes. Although, like I said, it was on the outside. Bryce Callahan used to play on the outside too before he moved to the slot. So I feel like Xavier Crawford's very similar in that regard. I actually even compared him to Rashard Fant, who's on the practice squad for the Chicago Bears from Indiana. And, you know, a, a late seventh round pick, a team's second seventh round pick, compared to an undrafted free agent from Indiana, you know, it's about the same type of value, and th those two, in my opinion, would should be competing for this backup slot job over Sherrick McManus, because McManus has much more limited upside, so I feel like you could draft somebody in the seventh round and stick him with Richard Fant, and uh, just let the cream rise to the top, and that player could be your backup slot player, or could at least compete with Sherrick McManus as well. Um, and then, like I said, even Sheldon or Sheldrick Redwine could be in there. So that's my mock draft. I had Miles Sanders round three, Ben Benagu round four, Sheldrick Redwine round five, Alex Bars and Xavier Crawford in the seventh round. I hit running back, like I've been talking about on the last three podcasts. The Bears are interested in adding a running back. I went edge rusher. The Bears absolutely cannot walk away from this draft without an edge rusher, in my opinion. And then, yes, yeah, safety slot, cornerback, and guard seem to be the you know essential needs. They lost a slot and a safety, and they added two, but they still need to draft at those positions because those are just veterans who don't have, you know, like I said, Ha Ha Clinton Dix could be gone, and Screen is coming off of a bad season, so you have to continue to add there. And then guard, we don't know what they have beyond Kyle Long. So, like I said, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. That does wrap us up for this podcast. And we'll probably talk about um, more draft stuff. We'll probably get into some of these more, some more of these running backs, and I'll start to highlight guys beyond Miles Sanders because while I do have that Miles Sanders love, I do think he is starting to boost his stock, and I do understand that you know, um, like I said, based on this mock draft, that there's potentially other players in the third round that they could be going for. Or there's other situations. So I'm going to just highlight some other running backs, you know, maybe a guy like in the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, and the seventh. So we'll go through some more running backs next time. You know, we'll, we'll lay off the Miles Sanders for a little bit, and then we'll just continue to talk draft and, you know, see if the Bears make any more moves. So that's it for now. I am Parker Hurley on Twitter. I'm at Bear Goggles on, on Twitter and uh, BearGogglesOn.com. So we'll catch you guys then.